What is something you wish we would do more often? I, I wish we would. I wish we would travel more. Uh, I'd like to get out and about more and just go out more. Especially in the back hills. No, just travel more and go see our kids more often, and and uh, and just you know go see the family more often. Get back east to visit your family and my family. Um, I like that idea. Yeah, I'd like to do that more often. What were your expectations about marriage? <laughs> I grew up having this princess mentality with the white knight coming in on the horse and, you know, and that was all shattered. You know, the first, the first oh, wow. couple years, it's just like culture shock because you're totally having to adjust to this other person. And, you know, a big part of that is selfishness and knowing what I wanted in a husband or thought what I, you got thought I should have things. in a husband. Yeah. And God has a way of refining that, um, but especially giving me a lot of grace and acceptance um, and being patient with what he was trying to do in you as well. <laughs> what excites you about growing old together? Oh man, what excites me about growing old together? I, I can't imagine my life without you. I just can't. Um, and to know that, that you're going to be there with me as we grow old together, that, that uh, that's a huge security for me. Um, uh, and after 37 years of marriage, you kind, you kind of grow on me. What is something that I do that shows you Jesus? You're, you're a changed man. And I sincerely believe it was because Tom Canan took you under his wing and mentored you and shaped you and walked with you. And between he and Kathy, they were so transformational in our lives um, through Christ working through them to be in us what we needed them to be. And I've seen all the years that I, I wanted to see all these good things in you. Um, I finally was seeing you were you were transforming, and that just brings me so much joy to watch you and to see you work with the passion that you do for the church and the love that you have for the various projects that you're doing and the people that you're working with. And I'm just so very thankful that you're at this point in your life. From this day forward. What do you vow? I vow to fulfill all the vows that I originally broke. I vow to love you unconditionally. I vow to support you and be faithful to you and love you for eternity. So from this day forward, what do you vow? I vow to cherish you. 
I vow to love you with all of my heart. I vow to honor you. And I vow never to break your heart. Now that's good stuff, huh? Yeah. They, they memorized those lines that I gave them so well, you can hardly tell. Uh, no, that's, that's real. We did, we did not coach them on, on what to say. And, and it's powerful that when you sit across from someone that you care about, it didn't even have to be marriage, just someone that you care about. And, and you actually tell each other some of the things that you think in the positive sense. It's amazing. Uh, uh, that's, that's free like couples therapy going on right there. And for those of you who didn't take notes during that, uh, you just missed out, okay? Because that was 30 plus years of brilliance. So, so let me make sure though, everyone, because this might be your first week with Fountain Springs, and, and you're, you're wondering, okay, what's this about? We are one church, multiple locations. And so every weekend, we meet all over the place. So I'm going to say hello to the fellows at RCMU and everyone at East and everyone at West. We are all pressing in to the topic of marriage. So for those of you who are like, I'm not sure I want to talk about marriage, or in fact, some of you already concluded, I don't want to talk at all about marriage. I'm done with it, whether it's not a part of your season in life or, or you tried and you didn't like your experience and you're done with it, whether you're young or whether you are seasoned in life. You and I can press into this vital conversation about marriage because here's what I do know about everyone listening. Every one of us is influenced, impacted by a marriage. And whether it worked out and you like what you experienced or it wounded you, all of us can press in and at least don't take this, this stuff from the Bible as, as this is maybe just meant for you, but maybe it's meant for some of the people that you spend time with. So I hope that's how you'll treat this. I hope that you'll take notes, and I hope that you'll have fun. By the way, you've been forewarned already. If you missed it, I'll give you one last warning. I am going to say sex a lot. So if that makes you uncomfortable, I hope it does, and we're going to have fun with this. <laughs> so we launched off the first week having a special guest, Shanti. If you missed it, go watch it. Wow. Tons of information that help us be better in relationships. Here's what we're going to do for the next three weeks. We're going to go through the vows. So let me show you the vows broken down. Now, I know there's more to this. I'm a professional. I do weddings. So I know that there's more to this, but if, but if I were to break this down, if I were to break down what the stereotypical traditional vows are that a husband and wife say to each other, this is the summary of them. You even say some of these words, to have and to hold, for better or worse, and I go, it gets in there about you know, how much money you have and don't have, and whether you're sick or not and all that, and then the till death do us part. Here's what we're going to do for the next three weeks. I'm going to break down each of these, because I want this. I want the next time either that you say this or you hear it, I want you to understand what's going on. And in fact, for those of you who are married or plan to be someday, listen up. I hope that you'll press in so much that when you say this, or if you've already said it, that it has a whole nother level of meaning that can be profound, profound to your heart, to your soul. So here's obviously how we're going to start off, to have and to hold. To have and to hold is, some of you are like, is that what it's about? Is, 
is what you, yes, what you think it is, it is. Good job. Some of you are very good at inferring. So, so let me break this down just to have uh, was, was an old time way of saying, I will have you. In other words, I will accept you no matter what. That's the beauty of marriage in theory. Whether you have bad breath in the morning or the afternoon or the evening, you have to say, I accept you. It may be horrible and you hand the mints all day long, whatever. But you're like, I accept you unconditionally. But to have and to hold, you're like, in like the physical sense? Mm-hmm. In other words, I accept you and we will be physically intimate. If you're like, yes, that's what it means. And I find this very cool. Well, frankly, because it's about sex. And, I mean, God made sex, but I am also in favor of it. I think it's great. <laughs> Just trying to make this as awkward of an environment as we can get. <laughs> to have and to hold the, the launch point of the vows. If you've ever been to a wedding, you know that. That's the, near the beginning to have and to hold. They're promising to each other, yeah, the, the better or worse, richer or poor. But truthfully, can we not all say this? Uh, we would agree that you can apply some of the other vows to really about any friendship. But to have and to hold, uh-uh. To have and to hold is very specific because it's dealing with emotional, spiritual, and physical intimacy. It's talking about something that is different than any other relationship you ever have. And so when you hear this or say this, to have and to hold, they are not just empty words. They are profound words that actually will either make your marriage thrive or for some of us, some of us would say that's some of the biggest struggles we've had. Someone didn't follow through. And so that's why we got to press into this, because I hear too often of couples neglecting this whole idea of that vow they said one time to have and to hold. Now, this is not a new concept. This is an intentional relationship, and the Bible even unfolds this. Let me show this to you in the Bible. This is in Matthew 19, if you're wondering who says this. Like Matthew 19 might be new to you in the Bible. You're like, what in the world? This is Jesus. In this church, our agenda is to show you who Jesus is, so that means I'm going to show you some of the things he said. So Jesus is talking about sex and marriage. He's saying this in public, by the way, and it was recorded. And so he, he, here's, haven't you read? Now, by the way, he's referencing, what I'm about to tell you is already written down, and you have more than likely, he's being a bit, well, facetious. He's like saying, hey, I know you all read this and you got it memorized, because that was a part of cultures. They memorized, they memorized the portion of the Bible that they had. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Now stop for a second. Now don't worry, we're not going to spend too long here. But if you ever are wondering, if you are ever stressed out about how culture is unfolding and you're ever confused, if you're ever at the moment like, I don't, David, I don't even know what right and wrong is anymore. If you're ever confused, go back to creation. Go back to what God made first, and you will find so much that applies to today. So he says, hey, haven't you read that the, at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, as in move out, quit living at home, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You're like, haven't you read that? You guys know about that? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together let no one separate. Now, you may not be fresh with the Bible. 
and understand exactly what Jesus was intending and saying. But I want you to get this. Jesus was just talking about a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, and sex happening that makes them one. For those of you who have ever been physically intimate with another person, you understand how significant that is. How it does something more than just a regular conversation does. It makes you one. Now, now, now some of you are like, I, I still don't get it, David. Uh, so, so what I've got is an illustration for you. This is marriage. This is marriage. Now, now if you don't like this talk, by the way, I know, I know you're like, David, that's a box. Don't put me in a box. I don't like being in a box. Don't put me in a box. Yeah, you actually do like being in a box. It's called a house, and it's called a car. And you actually, there are some boxes in life you're like, David, this is necessary, and I like it, and I want it. Well, if you don't know this, what Jesus just said is, hey, regarding marriage, there happens to be a box. There happens to be an environment, a design in which in which is perfect, in which God designed, and he's like, I know there's going to be other ideas, people are going to teach other things, but let me tell you, there is one design for it, it is a box. Here's how this is. You're inside of this box. <laughs> I told you this is PG-13. <laughs> See, some of you are confused, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, David. That's Ken, but who's the other woman? Some of you think it's Barbie. No, it's not. It's Elsa. Get caught up here. And if you ever wondered, if I ever dreamt of when I was in seminary, if I would be doing what I'm doing right now, no, it was never a dream. <laughs> See, some of you, you're not caught up in, in current pop culture. Let me bring you up. You thought Ken and Barbie were something. Mm -mm. They broke up. I am sorry to report to you, they broke up. Barbie found another man that was more wealthy. And so they didn't work out. And he met Elsa. And if you don't know anything about Elsa, Elsa can make her own palace out of ice. She's rich. And he's like, this sounds like a great deal. So if you were to search and find out, you'll find out that Elsa and Ken are actually together. Now that we've got that straight, let me explain to you what Jesus just said. There is a man. There is a woman. They are allowed and God condones and actually encourages that these two, when they get married, that they have sex. Now, now, sex happens in a closed environment. For those of you who don't do that, you should start that. That's how this works. <laughs> <clears throat> and by the way, if you're wondering, is there room for more? No, there's no room for more. It's just the two of them fit in this box. Whether you like this or think this is in pop culture and irrelevant, you need to understand this is God's design. This is how God worked it out. This is what God wants. One man, one woman, marriage, nobody else. That's how it's set up. It doesn't matter what you crave or what you desire. This is what God said, and he said this is best. And so Jesus affirms this and says from the very beginning, this is how we made it. That there be a man and a woman joined together in marriage to have and to hold, and that's where sex happens. So for those of you who are letting sex happen any other way, you're outside of God's design. Now let's, let's have a conversation here. See, see, some of you think, you're like, well, I, this is just a marriage talk. No, it's not. See, some of you are not married, but you're behaving like you, like you are. You're behaving in such a way that, that, that sex is outside of a marriage covenant, and you might be sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. 
You might be going in directions that I'm going to tell you and I'll warn you that it's not about being slapped on the hand by God and, and God being mean. You're outside of God's design, and anytime you're outside of God's design, whoo, be careful. And nowadays, most of us have multiple stories, don't we? Multiple stories. Multiple. Of either your own life or the life of other people where they have left God's design for marriage and sex, and you need to know this is, in fact, a God issue. Hebrews tells us marriage should be honored by all. If you're wondering, David, what's the original Greek about all? It's everybody, every person. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. Pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now, I know, I get this. Some of us are like, I, I don't like that, but you know what? If you, do, if you check in the study, do you know that still a high majority, whether you're in the church, out of church, like God, don't believe in God, whatever it is, do you know that most people would agree with this? They would agree that adultery, cheating on a spouse is horrible. But here, let me tell you something about leaving God's design for marriage. The source of our regrets are the moments we ignored God's design. Press into that a little bit, personally. Let this become personal for you. And reflect back to the regrets you have. Now, I know somebody like, I don't have regrets, David. Everyone messes up, and I think you do. I think everyone of us makes choices that we should not have made. And I'm going to tell you, Many of the choices, most of the choices, in fact, the source of our regrets in that are when we abandon God's design, whether you knew about it or you rebelled against it. To have and to hold is God's design, a man and a woman in marriage. Now, I know some of us, this, this kind of a sermon makes us feel bad. You're like, maybe, maybe it's someone in your family or, or yourself, and you're like, I don't know if I like this. But don't, don't feel like you're the only person, because this has been an issue for a long time. In fact, I'm going to walk you into, well, uh, a story that might be familiar to some of us about David. Second uh, Samuel, if you want to look it up later or whatever, Second Samuel will tell us some. Second Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, lock in on that one, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. And he slept with her. Now, if you're not plugging in what's going on, what I'm going to show you through this story are what I would contend are the top two things that are fighting against you and I to have and to hold if you're ever married one day or are right now. And what's going to go against you on the sexual intimacy part of this to make your marriage thrive? I'm going to tell you there are two things right now going against you that you have got to wrestle down and figure out. I'll show you the first one. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the time when kings go off to war, David stayed home. Now, if you're like, he's king. 
He can do whatever he wants, but you need to know this. If you haven't read all of this, you can go back and learn that actually God had confirmed to David, hey, when you go to war, you specifically are supposed to go to war. And David was known as a warrior. In fact, that's what helped him become king. He was an amazing warrior. And so his troops go off to war, and he decides that he's going to stay home. He just, I don't know, in the mood to stay home. He's not thinking in a way that is helping him make good decisions. And catch this, the, everyone, all the soldiers go off, everything. They're going to do what they're supposed to do and all that. But he stays home. Herein lies one of the things tearing apart many marriages. There is more temptation than ever before. I don't think anyone would ever disagree with me on this. There is more temptation than ever before in all of history. I would enjoy a debate with you on this. Because I'm telling you, it is easier than ever before to make stupid choices. David's stupid choice, stay home. He's not supposed to, but he decided to. In fact, now, it is common for folks to set up an affair on the internet. In fact, one of the websites got hacked. Many of you know the whole story. There were people paying money and subscribing in such a way that they could set up an affair. Nowadays, you can look on your phone, your tablets, your computers, and access things that you should never access, and they are taking you to a place that you should never go. And I'd say that's the temptation. And I, Listen. Many of us think that what we do in secret is harmless. Be careful. There's more temptation than ever before. There are boundaries being crossed all the time. So let me give you some advice. I know you just asked for it in your head. David, what should we do? Here it is. Be where you should be. If you're, where does that come from? That comes from years of counseling couples. Now some of you are like... That seems dry. <laughs> oh, I would tell you it's profound. See, no, no, wait, this is not just geographical, by the way. I'm talking about your head. Be where you should be. Yes, yes, you should not put yourself physically in environments that are full of more temptation than ever before. But it's amazing nowadays that you can, in secret, go far away, distant from your spouse, and engage in a fake intimacy. And no one you think ever knows, no one is impacted, you think, and you are so wrong. You want to know, like, David, what's, what do I learn from King David? Be where you should be. Because when you are where you should be, your heart stays where it should be. See, many of the times we go to environments and places, whether it be on the internet or physically, and we think, oh, I'm, I'm fine. This is no big deal. This is a one-time thing, or I've got this under control. I can stop whenever I want to stop. This is not a big deal. But your heart, you cannot control your heart like that. The Bible tells you your heart is a stinking liar. And your heart will go places that you did not tell it to go. I mean, come on. You remember middle school? And now you reflect back and you're like, how did I like her? Or how did I like Our hearts go places that later on, I'm like, that was stupid. See, our hearts will take us to places that you should not be, so you must decide now to be where you're supposed to be, so your heart stays where it needs to stay. 
But many of us, I'm just going to tell you right now, many of you, you, our hearts have gone to places and you're trying to keep it a secret. You've got some relationship at work that has gone way too far. Some of you, you're in middle school and high school and and you're, you're like starting to like the opposite sex and you're like, this is pretty awesome. And, and you're not guarding your heart and you're keeping secrets. Let me ask you a question. Do not answer this out loud. But I want to know, do you have any secrets regarding physical intimacy that you're keeping? And I'm going to tell you something. Secrets sabotage intimacy. Some of you are at odds with people, whether it be your spouse your parents, or your friends. And I wonder if it has to do with this. Temptation is greater than it has ever been. And secrets will destroy you. So if you're wondering, David, what's some practical tips? I'm glad you asked. I'll give you some practical tips. I'll give you one practical tip. Especially where you can have a secret, fake, intimate lifestyle. It's called the internet. If you don't know this about me, my wife and my assistant both have access to everything I do online. It's not because I've gone to a place I shouldn't. It's because I don't want to go. And I love you too much to be your pastor. I love my family too much to be a dad and husband to negotiate that on the fly. I choose now. Some of you are like, that's mine. That's my, I, I, that invades my privacy. Welcome to marriage where there is no privacy. So the first thing that's attacking your marriage is just the flat out that it's hard to drive around without seeing billboards, without seeing things on your phone and any kind of internet, without being in these relationships at work and at school. It's it's just temptation is higher than it's ever been before. David proved this a long time ago and you and I would be like not arguing that one. But there's more to this. Second Samuel keeps going on the story about David. Let me remind you, David sent someone to find out about her. Remember he's He's now bit into the temptation, right? He's now like, she's hot. And so now he sends someone to go find out. But the man said, I love this response. She is Bathsheba, but he doesn't stop there. You know, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He didn't say, she's Bathsheba, and yes, king, she's hot. He didn't say that. You didn't catch that. Sometimes you got to read the Bible for what it does not say. And I love this. This messenger is trying to help him out. Oh, yes, that's Bathsheba. She's wonderful. She has a dad with a shotgun. <laughs> he didn't say that. I can't, I mean, but I'm just, but you notice how he brings up, yeah, she's, she's a part of a, of a family. Oh, not only does she have a dad, if you're like, some of you are like, well, who's Eliam? Eliam was a trusted advisor. And I mean, Eliam and David knew each other and trusted each other. The wife of Uriah, so he's like, okay, if the dad part's not a big deal, uh, she's married. Is the conversation over king yet? No, no, you can't say that to a king, but married. And he's like, well, who's Uriah? Uriah is known as one of David's mighty men. Uriah had been with David, fighting for David before he was even king. If you wonder if these people knew each other, oh yeah, they did. And they were close. That's why the story gets pretty intense. So watch David's response to learning that she has a husband and a family, and he knows them, and they are, they are connected. Then David sent the messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. 
Here's the second thing going against your marriage. There is more entitlement than ever before. If you're missing what I'm saying, are you not caught by the fact that David hears that she has a husband and a family and he's not phased by it? He's like, okay, thanks for the information. Go get her. See, this should mess with some of us. If you're not understanding this and making this very, very local to your very heart, perhaps sex in your marriage isn't going the way you want to, so maybe you've had this thought. I know, this is hypothetical. She's not giving me or he's not giving me what I want, and I deserve it, so I'm going to go find someone who will. That's called entitlement. Or maybe it's not that far for you. Maybe your spouse doesn't encourage you, and so you're going to go get encouragement from someone else. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but because they're not meeting your needs and whatever it be, physically or, or just emotional, you're going to go find it from somewhere else, something else, and you think you're entitled to that. And you have bought into temptation, and you have walked that to a level that is so dangerous. So many of the couples that I've talked to over my life uh, have talked to me very openly and, 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 and very secretively, so I, I, I'm going to hold that. But you need to know that, that this battle against entitlement, how, how do you walk against this? How do you fight this? Because there are many couples right now who are sexually unsatisfied. I said it. Uh-huh. You'd be shocked by the amount of couples who are married, but sex is not a part of their relationship. So if you're like David, okay, we don't want entitlement to get in. I don't want my spouse having an affair. I don't want to have an affair. I don't want to leave God's design. We want to make sure it's just me and my spouse, and we're inside of God's design. This is how it's working. How do we do this? I'm glad that you asked again. Let me show you. This is, this is about to make it about as awkward as we could possibly get. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. So I'm going to unfold what duty, I'm just kidding, but the, the, the husband should fulfill his marital duty. Do we understand, church, what that is? Oh, you need it defined. <laughs> just debating if I'm going to stay on my notes or not. Okay, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. I just thought if I would say it enough that there eventually would be like amens to this, but okay. And likewise, the wife to her husband, the wife does not have authority over her own body. Some of you don't understand yet what that means. I will explain it. But yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. If you didn't catch that, I will explain this to you. If you are getting sexual pleasure from anyone, including yourself, other than the one you're married to, you're outside of God's design and if you think it doesn't impact anything, it impacts everything. And if you never thought you'd talk about this in church, it just happened. <laughs> Do not deprive each other 
For those of you who can underline things, that's a great one. If you've never started memorizing scripture, this is a great one. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Some of you are like, I've been saying headache, and I can say prayer. I can be, I can be spiritual. You're welcome for that. But some of you are like, I love this sermon. <laughs> then come together again. So no, you can't pray for the rest of your life nonstop. And, you know, then come together again so that why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let me explain this. If you and your spouse are not physically intimate, you are inviting Satan to go against and at your lack of self-control. That's why so many couples tell me, I don't know how this happened. Like, I can tell you how it happened. Because there was a deficiency inside of your marriage that led to your lack of control just losing its mind. So let me sum this up, and this is one of my favorite tips in marriage. You can say no as long as you say when. No one's writing that down. Come on. <laughs> I'm serious. If you're like, is that, I just read that in the Bible. The Bible's so relevant. You can say no as long as you say when. So if you don't want temptation and entitlement to leak into your marriage, then well, one day you find yourself completely two different people. Do you remember what Jesus said at the beginning? You become the same person. And if you are not the same person, one flesh, I would urge you to look at what is tempting you, what secrets exist. And where has entitlement, entitlement made its way into your relationship? The problem is, you and I hear all the time about people abandoning God's design. And that's exactly what David and Bathsheba did. Now, a lot of times David gets, well, all the negative comments about this. By the way, uh, you, you know that it, it takes two people. David and Bathsheba compromised what they knew about God and what God had taught them and what they knew about God's design, and they compromised it. And what happens is, is when you compromise God's design, you try to fix it on your own, and you make some more stupid choices. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. If you're not connecting to the dots, David realized he had gotten Bathsheba pregnant, if you read the story. And now he's got a problem, he thinks. And so he decides the best thing to do is he can't get Uriah to come back home and sleep with his wife to just make believe about some stuff. So he's got to have Uriah killed. Do you see what the progression of this is? This is horrible. David leaves God's design, and now he's considering and thinking and actually decreeing murder. Put your eye out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. That's called murder. <laughs> and you may not be guilty. In fact, I doubt that you are. 
of such a crime and a horrific thing. But I wonder, what are you killing? What are you destroying? Is it your future? Listen up. If you are in middle school and high school and you think that having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't impact the rest of your life, you're wrong. If you think, you know, a one little moment with someone else other than your spouse is no big deal as long as no one finds out and you just stop it, it's no big deal. Or if you just think some moments on the internet don't hurt anybody else, you need to understand you are killing something. It might be your own soul. It might be another relationship. It might be how your future kids see you. You have a lot to recover from if you go outside of God's design. And I, I know some of you have, have been a part of this church for a while, and you have heard my personal story about how I went outside of God's design. But for those of you who have never heard, I think it's applicable to this moment. The conversations that I've had to have with my children, where I have to talk to my teenage son and say, man, you, you need to know that your mom and I did not wait until we were married. We went outside of God's design. And if you think it's too much information for my kids, it's not. And in fact, we've had some very open, honest conversations about what Katie and I had to recover from. If you don't know this, what happens when you are physically intimate with someone before you're married, when you get married, all of these insecurities just pop up and you're like, where'd they come from? They came from you communicating subconsciously that you cannot control yourself. And Katie and I's first year of marriage, I don't wish that on anyone. The insecurities and the jealousies that came from a lifestyle of being outside of God's design. And by the grace of God, God refused to let that in our lives go undealt with. God's design to have and to hold is one man, one woman inside the relationship called marriage. So let me show you something. To have and to hold God's way is what makes forever possible. For those of you who are somewhat slightly interested in a marriage that lasts forever, do not neglect such a simple phrase as to have and to hold. Now, I know in this kind of a conversation... Many of us feel this guilt that wells up. Maybe you're a teenager that didn't wait until you're married. Maybe you were or are married and you broke this vow. What's your response? You can't decide for someone else that they're going to forgive you. You can't decide for someone else that they're going to just somehow just mysteriously and miraculously get over. You can't make that decision for them, but you can make a decision for you. It's why this whole series is built on you and I being intentional. So let's look at David's response. Here's what happens. David gets confronted. God tells Nathan David's secret. Some are like, that's not fair. Well, God doesn't play fair. Some of you think that your secret is your secret, and it ain't. God told Nathan, a man of God, hey, uh, you won't believe what happened. I don't know how the conversation actually went, but you won't believe what happened, and uh, here's the deal, blah, 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 blah. Nathan goes to David and gives him this whole parable of, hey, David, what do you think about this? And David gets all mad. How could someone do that? And Nathan says, you did it. 
once David is confronted about what he did, once he realized the severity of what happened, the Bible tells us what David did. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. If you don't understand how profound this is, is David could not go back to the dad, the friends. He couldn't fix everything and make it all right. And, hey, everybody, everybody cool with what I did. I know everyone else makes mistakes. And no. Look what David did first. He went to God and he said, you know what? I was outside of your design. I have sinned. So if you have been outside of God's design with marriage, whether you're single or married, you have, I would sum up, three choices. You can get uh, a bit defensive about it. You can argue with me all day long, like, David, culture's different, things change. And you can get defensive about it. Some of you might be doing that right now. You're getting defensive. You're like, well, David, if you only knew how they treated me or did this, I deserve this. Mm, sounds like entitlement. Some of us are getting defensive. And some of us, we're just getting sorry. And you're like, isn't that the right answer, David? No. Just being sorry for what you did, not good enough. Not going to fix things. I think you and I press into what David did. He did what's called repenting. Repenting is, it seems like a churchy word, and perhaps it is. It's in the Bible. It's where you're not only sorry for what you did, but you will now make choices to not do it again. You'll turn the other direction. If you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's where you tell God, I have sinned against you, and this is going to stop. If you're having an affair, God, I have sinned against you, and you stop it right now. You end the relationship. You delete them from your phone. Block them if you have to. You end it. If you want to be in God's design, you must engage God to repent. Now, some of you are like, David, I've honored this. To having to hold, got it, locked it in. I would tell you there's more temptation than ever before. So perhaps this message is for you to simply refresh what you vowed years ago. To have and to hold from this day forward. So here's what I simply want to do. I want to give us a moment. I think some of us need to repent to God and say sorry. And some of us need to renew what we promised years ago or renew this idea that you are going to live pure. So if you would, would you bow your heads, close your eyes? And I just want to give you a few moments to have a conversation with God that I think each of us as individuals know exactly what we're supposed to talk about. So just silently, privately, you talk to God. Heavenly Father, I would imagine that you have just heard some I'm sorry's. You have heard people pleading to you for forgiveness. You've heard people repledging to you purity. God, 
in your miraculous way through your Holy Spirit intervene in all of our lives. Help us to remove whatever temptations we can and to fight whatever temptations remain. And God, help us to honor marriage. God, may we be a church that lives life your way because we believe that brings peace and joy. God, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives, each of our hearts. You are amazing. We pray this in your wonderful name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.